Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Believe in Betting Chicago. My name is Joey Christopoulos. Today's episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. Today, we're going to be doing something different. It's going to be a series, an upcoming series that we're going to have on Believe in Betting Chicago. It is a Chicago sports-themed movie podcast. So I brought back two super close, great bros that know this movie like the back of their hand. And if we're going to do Chicago sports-themed movies, I know what we're all thinking. A lot of them are popping into your head, but... How do you start without rookie of the year? You got to begin with the kids. Go with the beginning. Today, joining us on the pod, one of my good friends, resident Tutty guy, Dave Raspoli. How are you, Dave? Joey, I'm so excited to talk about this movie. I mean, this is basically my life story. Yeah, this actually this actually happened to Dave in Orlando, Florida. They just yeah. didn't have a professional baseball team in Orlando, Florida. That's right. Out, I, no, I got called up to the AAA Cubs. The AAA Cubs, yeah. Yeah, we had the Orlando Cubs growing up. We actually did. That's a true story. And it was a it was a replacement hip, is what it was, really. So it was really just like you're able to just turn, turn really quickly. Also joining us today on the pod, Sean Graves. Give me the good stuff, Sean. How are you, buddy? What's going on, brother? Thanks for having me. I gotta say, as a kid, also from the South, favorite film growing up was the Hallmark Channel, Dave Rascoli, Orlando Cup. Yeah. <laughs> 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 the Dave Raspoli story. Absolutely. <laughs> you can do it, kid. So, <laughs> you guys, welcome to Rookie of the Year, uh, a movie that came out in the 90s, um, a fantastic film, especially for those that grew up in Chicago. But even if you didn't grow up in Chicago, this was back in the 90s when before uh, kids were necessarily bestowed with superpowers or magic books or wardrobes or wands. Back in the 90s, baby, it was all about it's all about rational, pragmatic dreams. Uh, blank check, Richie Rich, and of course, uh, Rookie of the Year. Um, a movie which I think, Dave, if you wouldn't mind, give us a brief synopsis in your own words of what Rookie of the Year is about. Oh, I will try, Joey. First, let's just start off with this. This is sitting at a very low 35% on Rotten Tomatoes. How this, dare they? This, what? Yes, I know. Did not get the critical acclaim that one might think. And I'll tell you why. Here is what this movie is about. A 12-year-old boy named Henry Rowan Gardner, which... Good, good work. Tough last name to fit on the old jersey. I'll tell you right off the bat. I know you what you know what that's like, old Christopoulos. I was gonna say Christopoulos. The immediate connector between me and that kid automatically was the long last name. It had a U shape. It started at like his tailbone and went all the way up and around like a rainbow. He's a twelve-year-old boy, and to say he was bad at baseball is an understatement. He threw the ball out of the outfield and into the parking lot because he decided to not pick his hat off of his eyes. <laughs> Second good note on he's a bad little leaguer, wearing jeans. Uh, yeah, you don't, you oh, don't man. Wear jeans. Don't, wear don't jeans. even get me started we'll get, on we'll that. Get into that. Yeah. Every we'll other the guy on the team wearing the jeans too, by the way. We'll, we'll get to this, Joey, but I feel that speaks more about his very poor parenting, which we will get into because he's got a real dog shit mom, in my opinion. With a very creepy van. Continue. Yeah, so let's talk about that. Henry has a broken family. His mom is not showing up to his games. Instead, she's going out with a dude who she met three freaking weeks ago. He's a little upset. There's a lot going on inside Henry. He goes to this game. A pop fly happens. He runs. There happens to be another baseball on the field yes which yes. oh this he, is at recess keep in mind this is at recess so oh, that's there, right that's there right could, this there is, could be balls all, all over the place we all remember yes. so this is at recess someone oh was it was it a friend or the girlfriend i forget who throws up the ball and i just saw it uh, it was night. a part of it wasn't necessarily bullies but they were kids that were giving him a hard time that's right uh and you know the girls are watching he's walking away they're still razzing about the event that happened in the little league game the day before and as a bit of a joke they they sent him another fly ball to see him to see him fuck it up that's and right. lo and behold because of the girl <laughs> yes because of the girl he wanted to imp impress her so he goes, I'm going to catch this fly ball. He runs full steam at the ball, which 
the way force would work, if you're running towards something and slip, you would actually fall forward. But actually, the momentum causes him to go straight up in the air and backwards, landing on his arm, breaking his arm. And let's and real quick, just so everyone knows out there, uh, you know, all the youngsters out there, and the three of us are all very lucky. We have significant others in our lives that, that we love. And uh, what's a quicker way to a woman's heart than catching a fly ball? I mean, honestly, uh, is there anything? I'm not sure. She, she would have been his in an instant had he caught it. <laughs> I mean, that's how I got my wife. I was shagging flies all day in that outfield. And she was mine from that in, point in on. In jeans too, right? Shiny oh yeah, in jeans, right? Robot. Let's be honest. It was the jeans that 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 got the, her. It was, it was what it was. Uh, so yeah, the arm is broken. His summer is ruined. Mm -hmm. uh, Everyone's have... making fun of him. He's got the cast on. They're doing the weird hello uh, where they have their arm up like it's in a cast, which is just let's let's call it what it is. He was getting bullied, guys. Mm -hmm. Henry had a rough life. And then he goes into the doctor's office, and then this is where it gets real juicy. Now, normally, I'm not a doctor, but the way things heal is they, the bone themselves, once broken, will heal. They don't normally fuse to the muscle, but in this case, they did. Daniel Stern makes sure that it did. The muscle fuses to the bone, which would probably mean less movement and mobility. Again, I'm not a doctor, but let's just say if your bone fused to your muscle, it'd be probably really hard to move it. But what actually happens is it causes him to be able to throw a baseball with the velocity of around 103 miles per hour. Everything checks out so far. Do you want to take it from here, Sean? Well, and not only throw it 103 miles an hour, but throw it 440 feet, yes, 103 yes. miles an hour, <laughs> by basically just standing flat-footed and moving his arm forward and backward. No, no crow hop, no step, just forward and backward, and boom, 440 on a rope to the plate at 183 miles an hour. So yeah, if you're watching this movie for the first time, this is actually planting the seeds of, oh my God, they're gonna create super soldiers, right? I mean, this is gonna completely change the way we do the military. I mean, think of people that can kick. Think of like dudes doing karate that can kick at 100 miles an hour. Think about these people, you know, throwing grenades. And I mean, this is where I think the movie's going, but no, it is trending in the direction of Henry Rowengardner saving the Chicago Cubs. Yeah, now, I, Joey, I know this is a Chicago podcast, so I'm sure a lot of people are thinking, wait a minute, if injured pitcher, like if injuring yourself as a pitcher made you a better pitcher, what happened with Jake Peavy, you know? Like, I'm sure that's what a lot of people are thinking. It doesn't actually equate in reality. Again, this is yeah. Hollywood. I did think in 2004 when Mark Pryor ran into Marcus Giles at second base, I thought this was going to make him better. Yes. Uh, it, it, it ended his career. Uh, lo, lo and behold, tough, tough break. Carrie Wood, though, I will say, came back from some some injuries and 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 sometimes seemed better at times. Yeah. So this, this so this launches a an epic run, which uh, which mind you, which we're going to get into in a little bit, begins in August. Um, so Henry plays for six weeks, and within that six week period of time, they go from the basement to the penthouse. And uh, honestly, take the Cubs on quite, quite a wild ride uh, to the very end. Yeah, um, we, we forgot to mention, he gets signed by the Chicago Cubs. That and, happened. Yes, and, and Pepsi. Yes, yes, Dave. It really <laughs> happened. It really, it really, really did happen. And does, and does not manage to spend a single day in, I don't know, Arizona at the spring training complex. At, at the Iowa Cubs, the Daytona, he just signs and he's on the major league mound two or three days later as a 12-year-old. He doesn't even have a practice, Sean. He goes straight Correct. into a game. He signs, walks in the clubhouse, can't find his locker, gets the start. Which, to be fair, the Cubs in the 90s 
it's it's not that it, unbelievable. And we're going to play a game called Realistic Unrealistic later. But let's get into our first topic right now. We go to the beginning of the movie. You had mentioned the Little League scene uh, where he completely embarrasses himself. Um, I think that's a that's a great place to start because that's a relatable moment. And I'm wondering if you guys perhaps have maybe a story of your worst Little League moment that you could perhaps remember. I, I mean, I have a couple myself. I don't know about you guys. I was more a first baseman for the most part growing up. And the two things that jump out on me as I remember one time, you know, as you do as a young man, you, you wear the appropriate equipment in the appropriate places when you're on the field. One would hope. After one time going down for a ground ball at first base, hard hit, it's short hopping off a rock and going right underneath my cup. That was a fun one. Uh, my other one at first base was – Stretching out as my, uh, I think it was my shortstop throwing across the diamond there. He leaves the, he sails the ball wide high over my head. Stupidly, I forget there's a runner coming. I step into the base path to catch it. And this kid that was basically, I think, a starting defensive tackle for the Bears leveled me and sent me flying about 20 feet. It was like the matrix slow motion as I was flying through the air having the thought of like, wow, that was a mistake. <laughs> thanks akeem hicks yeah uh, dave uh worst uh little league memory um that you can remember yeah well i got two 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 short ones the first one i was a pitcher so i really related to this movie and joe you've seen some of my early work as a child actor this role could have been mine, let's be honest. It Me really could have. I really went for probably all the same roles and he took them from me. So I'm it a little bit. Uh, it would have been uh, Henry Rodatini. Rodatini. Yeah. Rodatini. Yeah, and it would have been uh, equally as, as poor of a movie. But I was a pitcher and I, this is a theme of the movie, just lob it. Certainly at one point, I kind of lost my grip on the ball and just sent an absolute rainbow. Like, time stopped. Like, we all had five minutes to go grab a bike, come back, and it still hadn't reached the catcher's glove yet. And this kid was bunting, and he just looked up at it, and it just pegged him in the eye. He fell to the ground. He started bleeding profusely. His parents ran out on the field, started screaming at me, and they tried to sue my family. That's a Wally. true story. Yep. Wow. That happened. But the most embarrassing truly was this was like very early little league. So I was pretty young, but I had a tendency to always have to pee before I batted. And my coach hated that. I would always call my name and I'd be like, I got to pee. He'd be like, well, I need you to go warm <laughs> up, buddy. Pee after. And this one time I waited a little too long and I was in the, we had a little warm-up cage. So I was swinging in the warm-up cage and I had to pee so bad. And, and he's like, no, you can't go to the bathroom. You have to, you have to bat, buddy. You have to bat. And I just looked at him and I was so scared that I started to just pee my pants. And he was like, oh no, no, David, no. And I was like, oh no, I'm so sorry. And I, I immediately was completely humiliated. And I, I just like was begging him. I was like, please don't tell my teammates. Please don't tell my teammates. And then I hear all my teammates start saying, oh my God, he peed himself. And they start laughing. And then I go in the dugout and another kid had peed himself. Oh, you started so, like a, it was like a whiz chain. And so I just went, oh my God, he peed himself. What a loser. And then everyone's attention went to him. Real, not a great moment for me. And then I just went to the, I went to bat, but I remember the catcher being like, smells like piss up here. <laughs> I thought you were going to be like, it was a whole Billy Madison moment where they're like, the kid, the kid pee with you out of solidarity, but you're like, no, yeah. I threw him under the bus. <laughs> Yo, I, I 100% threw his ass under the bus. And in later years, I told him that story because the kid who peed his pants, his father was the coach. And I always felt really bad about that. And he legit was like, you pos like you really left me out to dry buddy <laughs> i was also hoping it was going to be like so we all started peeing our pants and then we won 12 games in a row uh, we could no, we were real bad we couldn't play a game without whizzing ourselves um <laughs> yeah you know i've got a I've, I've got a couple you know you've got like the errors of the strikeouts you know i mean i was very competitive so i cried a lot after games and stuff 
Um, I did once foul a ball off my nuts. Uh, but that it's was one in, way to bunt. That was in a batting cage and in the wintertime. Uh, I was hitting I was hitting with concrete, so it bounced it bounced off the concrete, went back up, and uh, puked after that. Couldn't talk to the lady friend or do anything with the lady friend for about a week after that at the time. That was in high school. But, um, you know, I'm going to stick with – I got to stick with you, Dave. Uh, you know, pooped myself a couple of times. Uh, you know, uh, one time in the – one time with practice, had to go shit in the woods, uh, <laughs> and everyone could see it, but it, like, kind of had to happen. And then another time we used to practice at this place called Eddie Field, and I, I went out there, and we started shagging fly balls, and it, it was just happening. So I ran as fast as I could to this business, uh, this building right next to me and didn't make it in the bathroom and then just ruined my boxers and just left the boxers in the bathroom. Uh, out of sight, out of mind. No cameras back then. Uh, this was 19, the early 90s. Um, so, you know, I don't know, Henry Rowan Gardner. I mean, things probably could have been worse. I mean, I think all of ours are probably collectively uh, just as bad. Um, speaking of bad, let's just transition real quick. You mentioned this before, Dave, um, Jack Bradfield. Uh, now there's a psycho. Um, the, the boyfriend who basically, um, from his tops of his shirts, uh, to his behavior, never really has a redeeming moment once. Um, and actually it's kind of an interesting character because you, you brought up something very interesting is he's, he's stealing away Henry's mother from him going out on dates. Uh, let me ask you guys a question. Uh, have you ever done a three-week anniversary? Uh, have we ever heard of that before? Uh, a three-week anniversary and they give someone a necklace? Dave? Yeah, that's what was so odd to me is his first line is, I believe three weeks is the necklace. Like, that's <laughs> the standard. Like, at three weeks, everyone knows you give the woman a necklace. I was like, man, what happens in five weeks? Jesus. So here's my question about that too. Like the, the necklace was like, it was insane. But the part about that scene that freaked me out was they've been dating three weeks. So what do you think? Four or five dates. And he just walks into their house. Like no knock on the door, no doorbell. Just like, Hey, I'm right at home. I've got a key already guys. Oh, by the way, here's your Tiffany's three week anniversary necklace. I was like, this guy's a serial killer. Yeah. Yeah. And he's got the tiny like little sports car and you're just kind of asking yourself questions. Which right? he can't park. Yeah. <laughs> in that one scene, he forgets to put it in park every time and he like falls out of it. And honestly, that is kind of a testament to, I mean, this is Daniel Stern's only movie that he directed. And like to his credit, there's a lot of really funny, like small, like, you know, micro jokes uh, sort of sprinkled throughout all of this. I mean, obviously, it's got a lot of, like, child child humor from, like, you know, people falling down, people getting hit in the face. Uh, Pitcher's got a big butt, which we'll get to maybe a little bit later, that absolutely slayed me as a kid. I mean, my <laughs> God, that was, like, the greatest joke ever written for 1993-year-old Joey. Uh, but all those, like, little tiny jokes, like, along the way um, – I think really kind of make like not just him, but like other characters like in this movie actually flow. So, so damn you 35 cent, uh, 35% rotten tomatoes. Um, <laughs> it's totally brutal. Um, let's keep on moving here. A couple fun ones. The composer, uh, I'm a big music score guy. So throughout all these movies, I do want to talk about the score just a little bit here and there. Um, the composer of the movie, Bill Conti, the composer of Rocky, all the Rocky movies, composer of the karate kid, composer of FX and honestly like has this awesome amazing if we're going to talk Chicago right now I mean like riding the L the pure innocence of what old Wrigleyville used to kind of look like right like I mean it is not like that anymore right and just the pure innocence of the the down on their luck cubbies uh this no good franchise playing in this beautiful cathedral that we called Wrigley Field um, on a beautiful sunny day in Chicago. And I think the composer does a really nice job of fitting that in. Hop in, Dave. I just, yeah, I thought, you know, storyline aside, the nostalgia of this movie was very palpable. And I would just love to see a making of it because this is before they could just fill the seats with CGI people. And there's a few scenes, basically all the practice scenes, you can see how cold it is because you can see all the actor's breath. 
And so you're thinking, okay, maybe they're in the off season for these batting practice scenes. Um, did they just steal shots during a real game? Because Wrigley was full, but it, it was just, I mean, I thought the nostalgia of the whole movie and the score really, really was awesome. Hop in, Sean. Yeah, well, I say for me, like, you know, I, you know, I've seen this movie a ton of times as a kid and rewatching it yesterday, like, you never look at stuff like that as a kid. You're just, you're just watching the movie. But, like, as an adult, as we're all kind of in the industry now, I had no idea that Daniel Stern directed this film until yesterday. I had no idea that Conti did the score yes. until yesterday. So it's really cool to see, like, for as nostalgic and kind of cheesy as much we can kind of, as adults, pick it apart, it had some really good people behind the scenes involved in making the movie. And I think Dave's right. Seeing a making of documentary for this film would be awesome and probably hilarious, too. Yeah. Well, you, you got to just think like the John Candy cutting room floor, oh. uh, the improvised John Candy probably yes. in this has got to be absolutely amazing. Um, and this is something in, in other movies. Uh, I want to, we're going to do a Space Jam one at some point. I'll talk about this, but John Candy's in a uh, tons of great movies, right? Like starring roles in movies. But this movie, uh, what I like about it is he has such a high quotient of joke per line ratio, right? Like where, chances are 80% of the stuff that's coming out of John Candy's mouth. It's not exposition. It's not character work. It's just straight like jokes and barbs. And man, like, does he get in hit after hit after hit on the Cubs? And I know that we won, you know, there's a world series under the belt now, so it doesn't quite feel that way. But trust me, if anyone remembers anything of pre-2016 all the way through the entirety of their lives, like, all that stuff and completely encapsulates how you feel as a Cubs fan. Like no, no wonder the Cubs lose every year. They got more talent in the stands than they do on the field. I mean, like that is it. Like it completely like makes sense. Um, and yeah, there's like legit people working on this film. So let's go right into that. We're going to go to Sean first on this one. I need you to put your scout hat on. Okay. Gary Busey's throwing motion. Give me the scouting report. My scouting report on Chet was this bad arm angle. Sit oh. on bad arm angle A as a hitter, sit on his off speed stuff because he's terrified to throw the fastball. Yeah, it seemed like the difference between his fastball and his and his off speed stuff was the problem, right? The gap was was too small. And then um, you know, the the thing that I don't like, you know, he had the James Shields grunting. Uh mm -hmm. he he grunted. He grunted after almost every single pitch. Like he was, he was working a little too hard. Dave, were there any, any player comps, any mustache comps that come to mind when you think of uh, Gary Busey's uh, pitching style uh, in this movie? I'm trying to think of like the oldest guy in the league or something. It, it reminded me of like a grandpa on the mound. He, I've never seen any, anybody more stiff. I almost felt like the actor playing Henry had a better... <laughs> better mechanics also i just i couldn't believe that gary Busey was playing the like hunky love interest i i had to double take i was like wait a minute is he about to be the love interest in this this just might be the only movie where gary Busey is like a truly good-hearted wholesome person now good guy in point break right but rough yeah. around the inches like tough crusty cop who's maybe seen too many days on the streets this is, I think, the only movie where he plays like a romantic lead. It's like Christopher Lloyd in Back to the Future 3. You're like, you don't know what to do with yourself. Hop in, Sean. Well, and it's also like, yeah, I like to call him Scary Gary Busey. It's like kind of one of the last couple roles he did before he just went completely off the deep end where you're like, he shows up to a party and you're going to the other side of the room because God knows what's about to happen, right? Like, he still looks like an actual human being you could talk to in this movie, which is great. It's almost like we forget that he was like a legit actor. I mean, wasn't he nominated if not one for Buddy, Buddy Holly? Holly. So he was a legit actor and he's really good in this role. He's like a really warm hearted guy who takes Henry under his wing. It's a great role for him. He, he has great chemistry with that coach. And, you know, it's just, it was almost sad to be like, wow, like he's, he's just a, he's the punchline now. His name is a punchline. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, he's in the class with what Tom Sizemore and many others. But like, yeah, give Gary Busey credit. Like that one scene where he's he's sweating and it's the end of his career and he asks for one more. I mean, how he says so much in two words. And I'm a kid and I know that wow, this is 
the end of his career. Um, we're going to go, we're going to launch into some trivia. We're going to launch into some categories in just a second, but we got to do a break to talk about our sponsor today. And who else is our sponsor? They're with us every single week because we love them so much. It's betonline.ag. And with betonline.ag, while you're waiting this out at home, you can still have fun betting with your partner. That's right. It's betonline.ag. No NBA yet. July 31st. NHL's coming. MLB proposal on the table. Let's see what happens. Don't worry, you guys. There's still hundreds of games, events, and sports to wager on right now. NASCAR is back. Golf is back. Madden and NBA 2K tournaments. You can play some cash down on that. UFC and online casino, poker, and blackjack events. All this and more on betonline.ag. And make sure you also check out the final dance. It's a roundtable interview with Expos, Chicago Bulls, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, Craig Hodges, and Ron Harper as they discuss the Michael Jordan doc, The Last Dance, in full. That is still up there right now, and that is some great content. And there's still plenty of uh, fun to be had. So make sure you go to betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100, M-Y-P-O-D-100. Your online online wagering solution, betonline.ag, back to the pod and rookie of the year. So I want to get into a couple of different categories here. And uh, I think maybe we'll start off first with maybe a little trivia, just to kind of like warm you guys up just real quick. And here's how we're going to do it. Uh, we're on Zoom right now, so it's kind of hard to see who's going to go first. So instead of buzzing or making a buzz sound, you are just going to say funky butt loving, and that is how you are going to hop into this round. Got a couple of really easy ones for you. Uh, the first one is the Cubs play the Dodgers in this movie. What stadium do they shoot that scene at? Wow. And I'll give you a little hint. Center field, there is a blue background. Center field blue from Funky Butt Lovin'? Funky Butt Lovin', what do you think? What is it? I mean, is, is it not Dodger Stadium? No, it is the new Comiskey Park. It is the brand spanking new new Comiskey. So if you, got, oh. if you remember. So? About, yep, about eight or nine years ago, they, they turned all the seats to dark green. But the cell used to be all blue, a cavernous wow. sea of blue. And if you look in the background right behind the pitcher where he's pitching on the mound, you're going to see a blue center field thing and a blue uh, like tarp over center field. And they shot that at Comiskey Park. Oh, so they shot that. They stayed in Chicago the entire time. The next one, how many strikeouts does Henry Rowengartner have in this movie? Funky butt loving. Go for it. Dave. Three. Ooh. Sean. I was going to say two. Twelve. He strikes out 12 batters in this movie. And so. What? I went ahead and I did the numbers because here's my big thing, and we can have a discussion about this. Is Henry Rowan Gardner actually good from like a fantasy perspective? All right. Now, this is just based on what we see in the film. Okay. Now. He starts off as a closer, and by the end of the movie, he's still coming out of the bullpen, and yet somehow now he's starting games against the Dodgers. So there's a yeah. lot of misrepresentation about what exactly his role here is on the team. And so I crunch the numbers. He In the movie, he pitches five and two-thirds innings. Okay. He strikes out 12 hitters. He has two walks, two hit-by-pitch, one wild pitch, two saves and gives up one home run. So in five and two thirds innings, he only gives up one home run. Um, in the regular season, that would be an ERA of 3.37. But here's the thing in that final game, they keep saying we can win the division that day. Is that a playoff game? Does that even count? And if they win the game, they go to the world series. It's all kind of confusing. So if you add that, because he throws two straight innings of striking out the side. So he's got six strikeouts. And then that final inning, he's going to have to conjure all the hijinks that he can to get through that inning. So he actually pitches three innings in that final game. Before that, he only throws two and a th two thirds innings. So, I mean, I was kind of wrong. I thought his, like his whip would be insanely high. I don't know what his ERA would be like, but I mean, the dude's averaging 19 Ks per nine innings. Uh, with an overall ERA of 1.58 in the movie. Uh, you know, I'll take that, even if it's at a, yeah. at a small dose. Um, yeah, he strikes out 12 guys in the movie. Go ahead, Sean. 
Well, I was going to say, first off, kudos for any pitcher who's mostly a, rel a reliever having that much effect on your team where you go bottom of the barrel to World Series champion. Kudos to that guy. And 19 Ks per nine is insane. You would take 12 Ks per nine. So, yes, I think you have to lean towards someone who's tripping over baseballs two, two months ago and now striking out 19 per nine as a pretty good pitcher. So, yeah, if you stretch it out to a full season, yeah. you've, got, you've got your strikeouts, right? But what if he's one of those guys that's like, you know, he throws 60 innings but he's like walking like 54 guys. Like he's kind of a nightmare. Like what, you know, some days he's got it. Some days he doesn't have it. You know, maybe he has acne one day. Maybe like you said, Dave, he's getting bullied at school. Uh, you know, he's going through a lot of changes right now. And these professional mature athletes can't be expected to be their best every single day. I mean, what's this kid going to bring to the table? He's not going to be lights out every single time. Well, I think, Joey, you, you hit the nail on the head, man. This kid is locker room poison, and I stand by that. <laughs> I mean, I don't need a pitcher who is, is so shook after one home run and then strikes out the next guy and all of a sudden is talking a bunch of trash. He would turn so quickly in this movie. <laughs> he would go from absolutely terrified to on top of his high horse, screaming down at you, <laughs> taunting you, and I don't know if you get fantasy points for like tricking players. Like how many points do you get for tomfoolery and hoodwinks? I mean, he was constantly like doing the old, uh, Oh, I, this, the, uh, the chalk bag is actually a baseball yeah, a hidden ball trick. And then calling people a chicken. I mean, the nineties, that is the one thing you don't do in the nineties. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Here's my question to you guys about old Henry. Wouldn't we say that Henry is an, injury prone pitcher he gets hurt that makes him good two months later in the in the game that either wins him the division and or sends him to the world series at the same time he gets he gets hurt to get hurt again so no way did he play any part in the postseason run right and on top of that the last thing that you want is when your pitcher's on the base paths to be antagonizing other players what are we doing here like protect yourself we need you on the mound. We don't need you scoring runs. You're diving headfirst into second base. What are we doing here? Like, oh, especially when you're when you're 40, it's probably like a nine-five, right? Yeah, you're calling. You're telling the the pitcher who's in his 30s that he's got a big butt. I mean, I'm in my 30s. That would probably hurt. You know what he's gonna do? He's gonna drill one of your teammates. Yep. He's gonna drill you. He's gonna drill someone else. What's going on here, Dave? I don't. I don't like how they villainized the GM, Larry Fisher. I don't like how they they villainized him. He was, that's the definition of buying low and selling high, man. He was ready to ship him off to the Yankees. That would have been a brilliant move. Take him to the top of the division. He, he uses him up. He's about to injure himself again. He ships him off to the Yankees, out of the division. Like, perfect move, and he gets berated for it. Well, let, that brings us into our next topic. We're going to play a game called Realistic Unrealistic. We're going to start first in the realistic part, which was what was the most realistic part of the movie. I will go first, maybe give you guys a couple extra seconds to, to uh, conjure your answer. And I'm going to go most realistic was that the Cubs would deal their best pitcher to someone else for $25 million. That makes all the sense in the world for the 90s Cubs organization. They let Maddox walk away for $28 million. You're telling me that the Cubs, if someone came to them and was like, hey, we'll give you money for actual talent that can help your team win, that Cubs organization throughout the 90s would do that in a heartbeat, baby. Throw in a Pepsi while you're at it, uh, and that would be a sign sealed delivered. The Cubs throughout the 90s were classically known of always like shipping off talent before it could actually flourish and thrive. Uh, this is the Greg Maddox story all over again. Realistic, the Cubs would give away their best pitcher for just straight cash. That's my most realistic. Uh, who's ready to go next? I'll, ju I'll jump in. I think yeah. for me, it might, it might even be two things. One, that literally back in those times, the Cubs probably did have a little more talent in the stands than they did on the field. And B, the Cubs, if you looked at those stands, were probably – 50 60 percent empty it wasn't what we're used to now right of going to a tuesday afternoon game with forty thousand people like there were a lot of empty seats in wrigley at that time because the team was so bad uh dave do you have a most realistic in the movie do you do you i mean this is this is not easy it's not supposed to be easy 
Uh, we've got some honorable mentions, you know, kids playing in the woods. Uh, very realistic for the 90s. Um, I'll also say, uh, like, uh, kids, kids uh, taking, uh, making a boat, maybe not very realistic, but kids listening or a montage of the 90s to some sort of staccato piano, uh, that Get Up song by Mike and the Mechanics. Also very 90s, very realistic. Dave, you know me. You know I'm a sucker for a sax solo. Oh, you yeah. know I'm a sucker for a <laughs> that thing lasted. staccato uplifting piano track. That thing uh, slaps, baby. Yeah, yeah, that would be, be all day long. Hop in, Sean. Well, the other thing that was very realistic is Henry in the early 90s playing the Game Boy and Chet being like, that thing's going to make you stupid, right? And him just completely ignoring the adult as he's playing the, the Game Boy. That, I remember those days vividly. Oh, little, little did he know about what a, all those different articles that came out about how actually video games helps you. Uh, <laughs> like, oh, okay. Okay, cool. Sorry, Gary Busey. I think the only thing that honestly felt realistic to me was pre-steroid Barry Bond striking out. Maybe that's it. <laughs> Man, he, look at him. Look at him in that movie. I had to, I had to, you, you guys, all, are, you guys can't see right now, but I'm, I'm doing the thing with my glasses where I'm pulling them up and down for comedic effect uh, <laughs> as if I couldn't recognize him. I was like, who is this skinny, scrawny guy with a Bonds jersey on? With the sexy earring hanging down from the right ear. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Unbelievable. So let's go to the easy part. What is the most unrealistic part of the movie? This can seem obvious. You can do that if you want to, but there's a lot to choose from here. Would anyone like to go first? Dave, hop in. Well, I, I, got, I got two runners up. I mean, there's a lot going on here. I mean, we talked about it earlier. He pitched a game without having a day of practice with the team. I felt hmm, just a little suspect, just a little. <laughs> um, children building a boat, kind, never seen that before with a motor. <laughs> bringing, then, an, bringing an engine to school? Uh, yep, being allowed to take said boat out. It's a very tiny boat that smokes like crazy. Can we talk about why that boat smokes so much? There's so much smoke in that boat scene. Very odd, never addressed. And then I think the most unrealistic part about the movie is that a 12-year-old boy is able to travel without a parent or guardian and is just given his own hotel room next to an older guy who obviously has a lot of trouble in his life. (laughs) He doesn't have a great grasp on his own situation. Daniel Stern is not who I would feel comfortable giving my child over to. Sean, most unrealistic part of the movie. Well, I think I'm going to kind of feed off what Dave just said there and what he said in this opening breakdown is just how completely clueless this kid's mother seemed to be. I mean, how, how, how old, uh, old Dirtbag McGee that she knew for six weeks just hands her something and like, hey, can you just sign this for me? And she's like, what is it? Hey, don't worry about it. And granted, she's a mom and she also owns her own business. So you would think she would pay attention to details, right? But she just signs away the contract that sells her kid. And let's get that right too. Not traded, but sells this kid to the Yankees for $25 million. And she just signs it without even looking. She lets him go on the road without herself. So that's my, like, most, like, the mom just being like, eh, sure, go ahead. Keep in mind, while whilst uh, shooting a Diet Pepsi commercial that they got after he struck out one person. And uh, also, like, how, how did she... How does she let the guy just like all the, the guy's the manager at the press conference and she's like, Oh really? Are you just has no idea that he's taken over this mantle. Yeah, go ahead. She's also sitting on set while the director gives his loan note to the 12 year old boy, which is be sexier. <laughs> that was the director's note to a 12 year old boy. Be sexier. <laughs> And the mom, nothing, nothing. Uh, that's a clear. Oh, we're going home. Yeah, these are all these are all very very good. My most unrealistic in the movie is uh, they're on the plane, 
Gary Busey goes, hey, rookie, come on over here. Sit on down. <laughs> and, and he asks Henry, what are you eating? And then Henry asks him, what are you eating? And then he tells him that he's had the best Salisbury steak he's ever had in his life. And it's on a fucking plane. Uh, a I laughed so plane. hard, Joe, at that. I'm so glad you brought and that And that up. plane didn't look like a charter jet either. That was like American no. Airlines yeah. or something coach. like that, right? They were in coach, and he had yeah, the right? best steak of his life, baby. <laughs> I'm sorry, the Rocket, Chet Stedman. I'm sure he's gone to a steakhouse in his life. Uh, I'm sure he's had a meal bought for him before. But the best Salisbury steak you've ever had in your life is airplane food. I'm sorry. I'm calling I'm calling bullshit on this one. It's just yeah. Dave Uppin. I have one more. This one tickled me to no end. At the press conference, someone in the media stands up and says, We've seen this stunt before. How do we know if you can pitch? So just to clarify, you've already seen this stunt before, which is a 12-year-old getting signed by a major league team and starting in a pitching rotation? You've seen this before? They also, uh, the, another reporter gets up and goes, do you have any experience? Uh, and then it's just like, dude, just, just, just sit down and listen. He's a 12-year-old kid. It's a real knock on the Chicago media in this movie. Yeah. I don't think he has experience, man. Good, good question, though. Good well, question, that, Jay School. Uh, go ahead, Sean. I was going to say, that's just, like a, that's just like a clap back to the Dave Rispoli Orlando Cubs story, right? Like, we've <laughs> seen this stunt before. The, cu- the Cubs have tried to sign the 12-year-old kid before, but he couldn't make it past Orlando. So we're going we're gonna to give it the old college try one more time. Uh, so we got two left. Uh, one, uh, the second to last one is, uh, I want you guys to, so in the very end of the movie, uh, Chet Stedman, he's pitching, he's, he's bringing out the rocket one more time. And about halfway through the inning, he blows his arm out. And there's that great scene where every time he goes to throw a radical shrieking guitar solo, just ratchets through his shoulder. We're all in our mid thirties, guys. Um, what 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 part of your body uh, shrieks? Uh, what, which part of your body probably gets the most guitar guitar shriek moment uh, now? Or is it a movement? Or is it something that you do? Uh, is there anything in particular right now? Um, I mean, mine's just in the morning. Uh, you know, I, I get up and the whole thing the whole thing doesn't work. I think the the whole deal is shrieking. Is there anything specific, Sean? Go ahead. Oh yeah, no, I, I'm. Gonna, I, in the, in, the, in the morning, it, I look like someone who has been beaten with a shovel while he sleeps because you get up and it's like your back is stiff. You know, you're, the plantar fasciitis from your running days and your feet are acting up and you're just like Frankenstein trying to make it to the bathroom and just like shake it off as the guitar goes off behind you, you know? Dave. <laughs> I was going to say I related more to the noises that came when Henry would move his arm. Those ridiculous, like, like that's that's how my body sounds when I move. Yeah, uh, pretty much throughout the day. Yeah, I don't know if it's quarantine, but like I'm on the couch a lot, and like I feel like my neck is resetting itself uh, about seven times a day. Uh, I just, I just yeah, I, hear, I hear these little these little clicks, uh, like it's just like relining itself over and over again. Um, all right, guys, final topic, and then we're gonna get out of here on this. Daniel Stern's character, Coach Brickma. Um, honestly, uh, a tour de force. Um, you know, I think the character stands up uh, to any kid that would probably be watching the show now or watching the movie now. Uh, the fact that he directed it and also did that is a testament to himself, which also is just like basically like, how did Daniel Stern get free reign uh, on these scenes? That's uh, because he directed them. Uh, hop in, Dave. He also, which I loved, he gave himself the and credit, which if you're, if you're not in the industry, the, if you ever are watching a movie and it says like, uh, with Dustin Hoffman and Robert De Niro, it's the most coveted credit you can have as a smaller character. And it's decided usually by the production team. So Daniel Stern decided that he would give himself the most coveted credit. Yeah, it's definitely the um, 
oh, thank you so much for being in the movie. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for being in the movie. Go ahead, Sean. Well, I was going to say, to be fair, he was carrying around that the, the Wonder Years clout at that time, Dave, right? Yeah. Who else on that film had the Wonder Years clout? No, he, des- he deserved it. I just yeah. thought it was funny. It was like a Daniel Stern film. And- actor, actor, actor. And... Daniel Stern. He called his own agent to call the production company to tell him, look, I'm barely in this thing. Uh, you know, what are we going to do about it? Uh, don't worry, Bubby. We're going to give you an and at the end of the movie. Okay, good. Okay, good. So uh, Coach Brickma, uh, scene after scene, uh, must catch. Uh, the best, like going back and watching it now as an older person, I think it's the stuff that still like makes me laugh every single time, him and candy stuff. But Brickma throughout the movie has these phrases and these pieces of, of advice that he wants to always impart upon Henry Rowan Gardner. And so I'm going to read out some of these phrases to you right now. And I want you guys to pick, you can pick one or two if you want, but either it's the best advice or a mantra or something that applies most to how you live your life. Um, and we will just see uh, which one wins out. So here are the topics. Um, uh, give them the high stinky cheddar. Let the big dog eat. Hot ice. Give me the good stuff. On the road, we can serve our food. <laughs> Punctuality, Henry. Without it, time stands still. Put the pedal to the metal and live the fantasy. Rock and rule. Remember the lights and bells and whistles because Henry, they're all free. Sean, you can go first. I mean, I would say just like my own like anal OCD ass, the one that stands out for me and, and fits me most is the punctuality one. <laughs> but out of all the things that like he says that when I when I think about my life on from any given moment, it's really when he's stuck between the hotel doors and he's just going, look help. <laughs> No help. Like, I think naturally the one that applies to me from a day to day where I find myself trying to figure stuff out and doing things and I'm just going, damn, I could use a little help right now, you know? Uh, a really funny aside, too, in that scene, somehow out of nowhere, that hotel guy pops up and he goes like, your door seems to be malfunctioning. <laughs> it's like out of nowhere. Oh, nice guy. Uh, Dave, is there a phrase, is there a mantra that fits uh, your life or something, words that maybe you want to live by? Yeah, well, Joey... I thought about this and there's one you didn't even bring up that really speaks to younger Dave and then one that really speaks to Dave of the now. And younger Dave really, really grasped the just lob it. That, that, w- that was said by the mother in the film, but that oh, really wrote true. Yeah, was it floated? I thought yeah. it was lob it. Uh, it, it. For her in the end, in the end moment, just float it just yeah. float it yeah. see i'm even misquoting her i'm making it my own mantra which is just lob it which is what i did and look look where that ended me almost in a lawsuit <laughs> um but i think what i really relate to now joey is the three r's and that is readiness <laughs> recuperation and conditioning (laughs) (laughs) oh shame on me i wasn't ready with because i blanked on that one that's amazing Uh (laughs) that's one of the i i laughed i laughed too long at that silly joke well and watching henry's eyes kind of like go cross there almost when he finishes the three yards readiness recuperation and conditioning <laughs> uh yeah, I wanted to pick hot ice really, really badly. Mm. Uh, as as you can tell, I, I my hope is in life is I I'm a bit of a centrist, maybe for better or for worse. So heating up the ice cubes, it is the best of both worlds. Uh go ahead, Sean. Well, can we say just quickly before we get off this character, how amazing was it in 2016 when Daniel Stern put out videos as Brickma as the Cubs were making their run? Remember that he brought it back and was so just in his house filming these videos. Good. Like that was such an awesome thing to see him do, right? It was so good. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was timely. We need it needed to happen, right? Yeah, my my winner my winner for the mantra is uh, "Give me the good stuff." Uh, <laughs> it's just so <laughs> so confident and yet so set up to fail. Um, we're gonna get into uh, we're gonna get into final thoughts here on rookie of the year. Um, any final thoughts, any tidbits, and also maybe just a quick little brief thing about, you know, 
this movie is set in Chicago. Um, you know, what, uh, what, what kind of does that bring to mind? Cause I know it's probably a little bit different for each of us. Uh, Dave, did you want to go first? Uh, I'll go first. I had another thought on something else, but this movie, I mean, I didn't live in Chicago during these times. So it was just great to see the city that I loved in a much more, uh, it was just like a young and thriving looking Chicago, seeing the, the way the L looked and, and seeing r that kind of Wrigley Field, the fans. A lot of shirtless people in, in the seats in this movie. Lots of shirtless people. Very shirt optional Wrigley Field, which I am all for. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, this, this, this movie was just pure nostalgia and it, it just reminds you why Chicago is the best. It's just the best. Um, Sean, final thoughts and uh, and your thoughts on just the the Chicago the Chicago backdrop of this whole movie. Yeah, I mean, final thoughts. I mean, first off, like the nostalgia of just watching this again as an adult and just flashing back to being on the ball the ball field with with my my friends back in the early '90s and, and playing ball and saying funky butt loving and, and and all the great lines from the movie so awesome. And from the Chicago front, you know, I mean. I, I, of the three of us, I'm the one that's still kind of living in Chicago and I'm the season, the season ticket holder. And I just miss right now. I miss getting on the L train and, 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 and riding in and pulling into Addison and hopping off and just seeing, you know, this amazing ballpark, you know, the neighborhood's much different than, than what the movie, when the movie was filmed, but the ballpark is still the ballpark and just missing that right now, being in a ball game with the hot dog that does not cost three bucks, like in the movie, by the way. But just just being there in the atmosphere right now. Yeah, yeah, triple that up now. Um, yeah, a lot of things. I mean, I I never I personally, when I was probably that age, rode the L downtown by myself. But I don't think I ever I did not go to a game by myself um, like that. Uh, it was just kind of a different time. That was kind of more of I think our dad's generation time. But yeah, like the 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 music pair with walking in. And that first feeling when like the tickets are ripped and they've been in your hand for a week and they ripped and you're finally in Wrigley and you get to see it and just all the buildings and the background of everything just really takes you back um, to an innocent time. And honestly, you know, that's kind of the Sammy Sosa era for us, right? It was like you went to the game and you were just kind of hoping Sammy would knock one out and, you know, you didn't really think that they would win. Uh, but, you know, the, there was that whole deal. And then for me, like, I think this is probably across the board. I mean, me not so much Chicago, but you know, I was, I was the kid that, you know, would take the sock and throw it into the dryer and like narrate and commentate, comment my own big moment, uh, in, you know, fantasizing in my basement about being up there on that field and having that. And then just like the whole concept of playing little league, you know, being a diehard Chicago person, but like, you know, I was, I was a Colorado Rocky. Uh, I was a Florida Marlin. I was a Kansas City Royal. Uh, you know what I mean? Like on sure. and on. And you I was wear, a pirate. Yeah, you got to wear that I, hat. I was, a, I was a Braves. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you have to do that whole thing. And then the final one is uh, it's it's a it's not really it's it is played for comedy, but it's kind of more of a side thing. But like just the chatter of what baseball was like. I mean, everyone says baseball is so boring, and it, and it can seem like that on the professional level. But like in Little League, man, there isn't yeah. like a player on the field that isn't talking and going like, Hey, about about early, you know, good strike, good strike, do it again. And there isn't a coach that isn't clapping and just yakking his head off. And there isn't a parent or a kid or a cousin in the stands that isn't cheering, like playing in little league for me growing up was one of probably the loudest experiences really yeah. of my life. And I think that kind of gets lost now in the whole, like, what is baseball hopping Dave? I was just going to say, yeah, speaking to baseball as a, as a child, I think it's one of the best sports you can enroll uh, a child in. I, I was in every sport imaginable, and I was bad at all of them. So I spent a lot of time on the bench of every sport. And I'll just say nothing beats the dugout. Yes. There's yeah. just something sacred and wonderful about the dugout. In fact, to this day, I keep in touch with certain buddies that I was in Little League with. There was just a very special bond that you had with teammates. And we were horrible, but we didn't care. We had the best time going to the stands, getting sunflower seeds, chewing them, spitting them, big league chew. Yes. It's just 
you're outside. It's always played when it's nice out. There's just nothing better than it. Uh, yeah, playing in that tournament on the weekend where you get to play, you know, you win and you keep advancing. And by the end of the day, you know, you started at 10 in the morning and you're finishing your last yeah. midnight and you've played like four games. And you get to come back tomorrow for the championship round. And it just like being there all weekend with your buddies and your family and hot dogs and Gatorade and your bat bag on your shoulder. And, and back in those days, having the stirrups, right? Not just the, the colored socks, but the stirrups are the coolest things. So such a great time. Well, I was going to say when we would do those tournaments, uh, we would barbecue in between games. So you'd play a full baseball game, and then I would, like, house a cheeseburger and a hot dog, and I'd get right back out there and do it again. And uh, I don't know that. It's just for some reason when I was watching the movie, it kind of sort of hit me for the first time of, like, you know, you play basketball, you play football, um, you know, the great sports, hockey, all of them and everything. But baseball, especially at the younger level, you do so much communicating and sharing and there's just there's so much that is that links you to your other teammates um it really is like it just kind of remind me of like what a fun incredible exciting sport it can be and i agree anything once you get to the professional level can get really kind of boring and tedious and you know you barely really see anyone talk on a professional base field now unless they're doing signals or doing something you know you see a little banter at first base yeah but just keep in mind, like, you know what I mean? Like, literally, that is not like that. Like, everyone is talking the whole time. Everyone yep. is screaming the entire time. And uh, that really kind of brought that back for me. And I think that's what makes this movie, I think, successful is it brings that innocence and joy into the professional baseball, which is the fish out of water, right? Like, oh, wait, he's, he's razzing the guys. He's communicating. He's having this great, great time and all this other stuff. And I think that's a big part of, uh, you know, why the, why the movie's great. Um, and the fact that he's got a 1.58 ERA in the movie, not too bad. I, I didn't think he was that good, but, uh, yeah, Dave, go ahead. I got one final thought. It's just this little tidbit that I found this morning that made me laugh so much. Just wanted to share in the movie. There's a, there's, well, this could be a trivia question. There's three major leaguers who strike out. Can you name them? Uh, Acevedo, Bobby Bonilla and Barry Bonds. Yeah. Juan, Juan Acevedo. Okay. Do you know what their character names are on IMDb? They no. all have the same one. They're listed as the three big whiffers. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That's a fantasy team name. That's a fantasy the name. The three big whiffers. I was going to say, I, if we ever have a chance to play on a softball team together one day, it's got to be called the big whiffers, right? The oh big whiffers is so good oh oh man that's absolutely unbelievable the the big whiffers um uh, i think that's gonna pretty much do it you guys i am gonna leave you on this little note and i'm not gonna tell the whole story but it does fit into rookie of the year so i wanted to get it in there but um i was lucky enough i met i met barack obama once uh at the restaurant that we've all worked at at the bevix we were all working there and he uh came in this was before he was president it was like 2007 great story and um he came in his younger i think one of his daughters i don't remember which one was having a birthday and this was simpler times right and he was just sitting back there a couple security guys were there he had a white Sox hat on and at the time there was a lot of rumors about him running for president and i was like i just gotta meet this guy i gotta shake this guy's hand this guy could be the next you know john f kennedy whatever so i go back there he's wearing a white Sox hat I'm also a White Sox fan and a Cubs fan. I go over there, you know, anyone who's a White Sox fan is a friend of mine. I shake his hand. He goes, it's important not to be fair weather. And we start talking. And one of the things that we talked about was, um, you know, I was like, you know, I'm a huge White Sox fan. We talked about Bo Jackson and all this other kinds of stuff. And I was like, you know, I went to game one of the World Series. And he's like, oh, that's really funny. I threw out the first pitch at game two of the World Series. And I go, oh, well, you got me beat on that. And I go, if I may ask you a question, he's like, yeah, go for it. He goes, I go, once you get up there on that mound, it's a lot taller and farther away than you thought. And he goes, let me tell you right now, like in <laughs> best Barack Obama, he possibly could. And I'm not going to do it. He's like, just like in rookie of the year, you just want to get it there on the fly. And I was like, Oh, so you floated it. And he goes, you just float it. And I was like, Oh, that's awesome. Perfect. Perfect. You don't want it to skip. So he's like, you know, you just aim high and just try and float it in there. Um, 
And uh, I always remembered that because me and Barack Obama shared a, a rookie of the year uh, moment. So uh, Dave Raspoli, Sean Graves, thank you so much for joining us. This was rookie of the year. I'm believe in betting Chicago, Chicago sports themed movie edition series. This episode was today brought to you by betonline.ag. Enjoy the rest of your week. You guys have a great weekend. Be safe, be well, be good to each other. And we will talk to you soon. Funky butt loving. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.